Good evening everyone. Baruch Hashem, Besha'a Tova, finally. The books arrived from China and we picked them up today from the port in New Jersey. And they just arrived to Monsi two hours ago and you were the first one who already had the, the, the merit to be the first one who gets the book. We have them as you can see. It's exact same book, just different cover. Some people like the yellow, some people like the, the blue. We did not uh, know what to do. In the end, we decided to do both. So whoever wants to order the, the yellow, whoever wants to order the blue, and also we have an Hebrew version, of course. It's going to be tomorrow on my website, and then you'll be able to order it. We also, Bezrat Hashem, will put it on Amazon. It's going to be in some of the bookstores also. Finally, remember this book, anyone you know that is not religious, anyone you know that needs a push in his religion level, and even the religious people that need to learn the real Jewish Ashkafa, the real Jewish ideology, this is a fantastic book. It will make a very big impact on the people that read it. We try to keep it as small as possible, as light as possible, and it's easy to take with you, because I know people don't like big books, it's heavy. Carry in a plane, take it with you, you can take it wherever you go. If sometimes you would like to take a bunch of them, so it's going to be lighter. And uh, the books will be online for $20 plus shipping. And those who would like to buy 100 at the time, they get right away 50% off. The idea is to distribute as many in the fastest possible time. So everyone can become a reseller of the book. He gets it for $10, you can sell it for 20 if he wants, I don't mind, as long as we distribute as many books to as many people possible. Bezrat Hashem, if the Satan, because the Satan was fighting against this book for the last six months, like you never saw such a thing. It's mamash unbelievable. Every possible delay that was possible to create, the Satan created. If with, with the translation, with the editing, with the graphic, with the factory in China, with the boats, with the, with the shipping from the boats, Baruch Hashem, plenty of delays. But now it's finally here. And Bezrat uh, Hashem, all the people who sent me in the last two months tons of emails about it, now, you don't need to send any more email, you can just order it online. People out of United States, if they want to order books, they can send me an email to rabbimizrahi at gmail.com and we will make a manual order for them because they won't be able to order it online to overseas. So, excuse me? We have also Hebrew version. We're going to have on the website three possible options. One, English yellow, one blue yellow, uh, blue uh, English, and one blue Hebrew. The Hebrew comes only in blue. The English has two colors, uh, yellow and blue, whichever one people wants to, to order. Uh, before we speak a little bit about Purim, which is coming in a week, I uh, wanted to... Yesterday, I gave a lecture in Queens. Benji can tell you, it was very powerful. I don't know, the last four lectures in Monday night were fire. But yesterday was an atomic bomb. But of course, I cannot put it on the website. So the people who came, they got it. The people who didn't come, they lost it. That's it. 
Maybe that's the reason why the lectures in Queens are packed. People know that sometimes you're not going to get it online, so they come. Maybe I should cancel the whole uh, live broadcast. You should cancel maybe the live broadcast, then you're going to have a thousand people coming. Hopefully. We'll see. We'll think about it. Anyway, I don't know if you're aware of the news a little bit, but uh, if you follow the movements and the transactions in the world, you see how slowly, slowly HaKadosh Baruch Hu pays back to all the countries who goes against the Jewish people. Every country who went against Israel, their time arrived. We can look at Syria. Syria is basically destroyed. We look at Iraq. From the time of Saddam Hussein until now, I don't know, 15, 20 years, they're completely, it's devastation over there. And now a new country joined. Also Libya is gone. Tunisia has big problems. Algeria has big problems. But now there's another country, Venezuela. Venezuela is not an Arab country. You wonder, why would they hate Israel so much? Why would they be pro-Iran? Why their ex-president, who already Hashem killed him, why would he hate the Jews so much? Why did the Jewish people did ever to Venezuela? And obviously, you don't look for logical explanation when it comes to antisemitism. All you need is one wacko, one crazy guy, and he brainwashed the entire country, and that's what happened. What's the punishment of Venezuela? Venezuela is destroyed. Four days they don't have electric in all Venezuela. They don't know what to do. They can't fix it. They, know, they say, we have no idea what's going on. You know what it is? The whole country doesn't have electric four days. Do you know how many billions of dollars you lose every day without electric? Factories cannot work, stores cannot open, internet companies, phone companies, banks. Do you know what it is? And on top of it, the United States announced today that in the next few days they're putting massive sanction against Venezuela to destroy them. The pride of one leader that refused to step down because they told him step down will help Venezuela to get back on their feet. You want to stay in power? We'll choke the country. And he doesn't care. Let all the people die. Let them all suffer. He is not going to step down. He's a king? Maduro. He's a king? King. king? President, king. Same thing. No. no. He's, he's from the low life family. How, he, how did he become the leader? From the people. The people chose him. Really? Just like they chose Chavez, that is together with Arafat in a lovely place now. Somebody who is elected by the people has to step down. Yes. No, the, the people wanted to make revolution now, but he does not, yeah, against him. No, no. It's a, fa it's a fact that his country is destroyed, and the people wanted him to step down, and the army, and he refused to step down. When the election happened there? I don't know. Six months ago, Rabbi. No. After six months, That's they changed their mind? That's Already enough. That, he had to step down? That's enough to know. Ah, or just because the Trump doesn't like You it. came awake today. What happened? You slept all day? <laughs> Usually you start to make he problems in the end. He refused to step down like Donald Trump requested him. Bad guy. Bottom line, Gorbachev, soon 
there is not going to be Venezuela if the things continue to go like this. <laughs> That's also possible. You're also right. You're right about that also. Anyway, so this is one thing. But, but I want to tell you something very interesting that happened. I don't know if you remember, about a year ago, I told you a story that a woman from the court in Lud, in Israel, there's a courthouse. Lud is the city where Ben-Gurion Airport is. When you land in Israel, they tell you, welcome to Tel Aviv, but you're not really in Tel Aviv, it's Lud. Lud, it's close to Ramle, okay. Lud, it's very interesting, they have, in every town in Israel, every city, you have a secular court. So if you remember, we posted on my, on my Facebook page a video of a woman that called from the court that they want more CDs. My CDs they want. I remember the court... It's the heart of the lefties and the liberals. Every, every city, the chance that this kind of people would want CDs is almost none. But this woman, she is a secretary of a judge. And she said that they want more CDs. And my assistant in Israel, when he delivered the CDs, he filmed it with his phone. And he asked her, tell me, who is really listening to these CDs? The workers? She said, yes, everyone here likes it. A lot of people started to become traditional. So he asked her, are the judges also listening? She said, you'd be surprised. Some of them did. Why am I telling you this now? After over a year, maybe it was a year and a half ago, who knows. This week, there was a big trial in Israel. Two very right-wing religious people who... They, the police arrested for suspecting them that they burned a church in Israel. As you know, a church is a place of idol worshipping. According to the Torah, you're not allowed to have places of idol worshipping in Israel. First thing you have to do is to clean Israel from all the idols and all from, the, from all the idol worshippers. So if we had the power, like in the time of the past, when we had Bet HaMikdash and a king and Sanhedrin and all these things, first thing we would have to do is to clean Israel from every building of Hindus and Buddhists and Christian. All of these religions that are idol-worshipping religions, religions, we would have to clean anything that they left in Israel, to purify Israel from their idols. There's nothing Hashem hates more than idols. Then we would tell the idol worshippers, if you want to stay to live in Israel, you all have to become Noachite, meaning to keep the seven laws of Noah. You cannot be idol worshippers in Israel. You want to worship idols? Go out of the country. Do whatever you want. We don't have an obligation to clean the idols in other parts of the world. We don't have to go to China and fight the Chinese while you are worshipping idols or in uh, Nepal, or in, uh, in India. That's not our business. That's already Hashem's business. But in the Holy Land, it's our obligation. Some people actually care what Hashem says in the Torah. Most of the people, unfortunately, don't care. But some people do care. So apparently, nobody knows who it is. Those two were the suspect. They arrested people for coming and burning that idol-worshipping uh, place. There was nobody there. It was in the middle of the night, just to burn the idol-worshipping place. 
police made their investigation and they caught these two people. If they will find guilty, they'll go for many years in prison, obviously. So where, which court had to trial them? Lud. Which judges? The judges that were listening to the CDs. What was the verdict? Not guilty. They released them. First time in the history of Israel, judges release right-wing people. They always give them the biggest punishment they can. Because they're all pro-Arab, they hate religion, and they're basically leftists, you know, like Democrats. It's unbelievable. The judges release them on technicality. They said that something technically was not correct, something minor, and dismissed the case. Nobody believes they're in shock in Israel. Today, there is also an obligation to do that. But the problem is that the government that runs Israel, they themselves are idol worshippers. So how would you expect idol worshippers to clean the idols from Israel? Can you expect them? Can you expect Mechalelei Shabbat eating pork for breakfast people to go and clean the idols from Israel? They'll think you're crazy. They hate the religion more than the Christians hate it. Remember, our religion is a part of the Christian religion. They call it the Old Testament. So the Christians read the Torah. Muslims also. So they have, believe it or not, more respect for the Torah than half of the secular people in Israel. You have to know that. That's the truth. It's a very sad fact. And I really hate to say it in public. But the truth must be told. And that's reality. Reality, you know, so, you know, it is what it is. What can you do? So, the, the, as long as you have such government, don't expect anything from them. Now, the control of Benjamin Netanyahu, he was, he's a prime minister for about 16 years already. But now he's in a real serious jeopardy. Serious jeopardy. What's the jeopardy? Now, few lefties gather together, they're all big generals in the army, together with Haman, Haman Lapid, if you know who he is, is the son of another Haman, his father was, the first one was hating religion very much. He followed his father's footsteps. Steps. So what does he do? All his... All he suggests to the voters, vote for me, I will kill the Torah, I will close the yeshivot, I will cut the budgets, I will force the religious people to stop learning Torah and go to the army. That's what he tells the people. How many mandates he gets? The polls shows that he gets 18 mandates. Each mandate is 50,000 people. 18 times 50,000, how much is that? 900,000 people in a country of six million citizens. 900,000 people are voting for Haman, or Antiochus, or any one of these people who came after the Torah to destroy the Torah, like the Greeks, like the Babylonians. So now you have an Israeli Antiochus. Doesn't have to be a Goy, it can be a Jew. So this is the reality right now. So they, the polls showed that they get 36 mandates and Netanyahu get 29 only. If it's true, 
they will gather together with Meretz, which is the most lefty liberals, another seven, and they're going to get all kinds of middle, not left and not right, and the Arabs. There are 14 Arab terrorists in the government, so the Arabs would love them to be in charge, because they're very good for the Arabs. So the Arab will back them up, they can make a government. So the government will be lefties and Arab. The Arabs declare in Israel every week that they are hoping for the destruction of Israel. They are in a government, sitting in a government, getting paid by Israel, and they actually speak and they say that they don't recognize the state of Israel. Imagine someone from Congress, he said, I do not recognize this, the state of United States. Uh, for me, it's not a, na a nation. I don't recognize United States. I'm against it. So what are you doing in Congress? Why are we paying you a salary? You're the enemy of the state. It's ridiculous. But only in Israel you can do things like this. So now, why am I telling you this? Yesterday, Rabbi Mazuz, Rabbi Meir Mazuz, is now today in the world the biggest Sfaradi rabbis in the world. The biggest. After Avovadi Yosef passed, he is the one that is in power. There's two Sfaradim, two big Sfaradi rabbis that are in, with, with a lot of power. One is Rabbi Mazuz, one is Rabbi Shalom Cohen. Rabbi Shalom Cohen is Rosh Yeshivat Porat Yosef. This is the main Sfaradi Yeshiva. And Kisera Hamim is also a very famous big Sfaradi Yeshiva in a very high level in Bnei Brak. So Porat Yosef is in Yerushalayim, Kisar Achamim is in Bnei Brak, two big leaders. Rav Mazuz himself is a giant Talmid Chacham, is an expert in Mesora, in Jewish tradition, and in grammar also. The biggest in the world in grammar. You have to see how his knowledge in grammar is outstanding. Everything. He knows the language more than anyone in the world. And uh, he, when you speak to him, you are amazed how he's able to quote verses from the Tanakh, from the prophets, verses that have more than 20 difficult words, he memorized it in a, spontaneously in a lecture. It's unbelievable. Most people don't know Tanakh, remember. Most people who learn in Yeshiva learn Gemara, Mishnah, Gemara, Little Chumash, Musar, that's what they learn. Almost nobody learn Nach. Nevi'im, Ketuvim, Yeshaya, Yirmiya, Yoel, Amos. His knowledge is wild, meaning he can tell you psukim that nobody ever heard, and he remember word by word every pasuk. This is from the from young age in Tunisia how they used to learn. So he gave a speech yesterday about the big epidemic that the world has now. He's talking about Israel right now. What is it? Homosexuality. So what's going on here? What is going on? What, who, what kind of a, a world we live in that people wants to turn it into men with men and women with women, abomination to destroy the world. They want to bring a destruction to the Jewish nation. Speaking very strong. He said, these people are crazy, he said. Meshugaim, they're not normal. What is going on here? Everybody has to do everything they can to stop it. Guess what happened after the speech? No. What happened after the speech? These lefties that runs now to, against Netanyahu pressed charges against him in a police station. <laughs> Do you understand what world we live in? 
against the chief rabbi. They actually press charges against them. You know what happens when you press charges against someone, they may come and put handcuffs on your head and take you to the police station. Anyone who says something the lefties and the wicked people do not want to hear, they will do everything they can to block his mouth. I'm the best example. I have to go now to speak in Manchester. Tomorrow is my flight. Then in London. I have about seven, eight lectures scheduled. Every place I speak, they go, they threat them. They call the newspaper that published the flyer, threatening him to take off the head. What is going on? What happened to the freedom of speech? Freedom of speech, what happened? Nobody is allowed to say what he believes in. You don't like it, don't come. You have a comment, write your comment. But why do you have to do everything you can to block, to block the mouth of every righty leader? Everyone that says things from the Torah you don't like, you have to block his mouth. What's going on here? So you see that democracy, freedom of speech, this is all baloney. They don't really believe in it. They only believe in it as long as they are in a bottom. Once they have some power, they can make damage. No freedom of speech, no nothing. This is the world we live in. It's all big hypocrisy. Yes. I have a question. In Israel, it's an obligation for the, the Jews, like the Israelis, they have to clean the entire idol worship because it says it in the Torah or right. some manifestation. Right. Now, does that also apply, let's say, if you have like the lefties and, and the wicked people who are trying to you know, destroy Israel? Now, you have, let's say, somebody who's like Jewish, loves God, loves Israel whether he's fully religious, whether he's not fully religious, and goes to like, a lefty Jew and, let's say, like, kills him or does something. Is this considered a sin or is this considered a salvation? In, there are many rules that permit certain things to do with traders and people like this. But the problem is that today we cannot do these rules because, first of all, we don't have Sanhedrin. So there's no execution. No, my question is, like, would this be considered like, back in like, Back in time, yes, there are laws. There are laws in the Torah that permit a person permits him to kill another person, one Jew to kill another. I can give you a few examples. Today, none of it applies, but just in the old days, once we had Sanhedrin, for instance. If a Jew is in the middle of relation with the Goya, in the middle, not a second before, not a second after, and a Jew is a witness to the act, is allowed to execute that person without the trial. Only if he's a zealous person, like Pinchas. After Pinchas, the Gemara says, who's zealous? No one is zealous. That's why it's obsolete. But just to show you, that there is such a concept. In the old days, if you knew who is Amalek, from the nation of Amalek, mitzvah to go and kill him. Today we don't know who is Amalek. So this mitzvah is not in place because there's no way to know who is Amalek. But from the Torah, one of the 613 commandments is to clean Amalek from the world. So that's another mitzvah. There are also other laws when you're allowed to kill a person. For instance, if one person chase another person, you don't know them. One Jew run after another one. You warn him to stop. And he continue. 
You do anything you can to stop him. If you cannot stop him and he's about to kill the other guy, after you gave him the warning and he refused to accept the warning and he continued to chase him to kill him, you're allowed to kill the one that chased him, even if later on you'll find out that he was the good, one, good guy and the one that was running was the bad guy, you are dismissed. Why? You gave him warning to stop and he did not want to stop. You kill the one that chased him before he kills him. So that's Din Rodef, it's called. I'll give you another example. A woman is pregnant. The baby that is about to be born jeopardizes her life. So if you will deliver the baby, the woman will die. So who is coming first, the woman or the baby? You may think, well, the woman is already 30 years old. She lived enough. Let's save the new life. He's going to live longer, no? Most likely the baby would live longer, no? He's only one day old. So right there he has 30 years, extra years to live from her. Let's see if she's supposed to live until 70. So she had 40 years to live. And this baby maybe lives 70. We go by average. So his life will be longer. So let's kill her and save him. The answer is absolutely not. You don't kill someone that is already alive to save someone that is about to be alive. Because right now, his all life is coming from her life. It's connected to her. So he's getting his life from her. You understand? So you don't want to kill her to give him life. Why? Because, because we have a rule, and nefesh nefesh. But if he jeopardizes her life, if he jeopardizes her life, meaning if you deliver him, she's going to die, then you do not deliver him. So you, you, her life comes first. Why? Because he has din rodef. He is chasing her to kill her. Not intentionally, of course, but he's the one that jeopardizes her life. She does not jeopardize his life. He is jeopardizing her life. As a result of that, you kill him, but you don't kill her. Because she was always here and he's just about to be here. So there's another rule right there. And there's another rule. If a Jew is on the way to turn another Jew into the authorities, into the authorities, you tell him, don't do it, you're not allowed. It's Din Moser. You're not allowed to be a traitor. You cannot, oh, I hate him, he's a bad person, he stole all my money. Yes, you're right, it's all true, but you're still not allowed to turn him in. I don't care, I'm going to show him this, that, I'll call the IRS, i call the FBI, I'm going to tell them, I'm going to tell the whole story. If, no matter what you did, he's, not, he's refusing to stop, according to the Torah, you're allowed to kill him and you're not guilty of anything. You did a big mitzvah. Of course, today no one will do it, because if you do it, you're going to sit in prison for 30, 40 years, or you get a death penalty, depending where you are. But just to show you that according to the Torah, sometimes it's mitzvah to kill a person. Not always is a sin to kill a person. Depend who the person is. If you have a Jew that is about to go to the enemies and tell them all the secrets of the army in the middle of the war, he's a traitor. Before he does it, you have to kill him before they all kill us. But if he already told the secrets, you cannot kill him. Now you have to bring him to trial. You're only allowed to kill him to prevent the tragedy. He's about to go and turn the Jews into the authorities or into the enemies. So if you try everything for him not to do it, and he refuses, refuse and he's still going to do it, you're allowed to kill him or to lock him or to do anything you can from stopping him. 
if you already did say, you don't kill him. So you see, you don't really kill him for revenge. You kill him to prevent the problem. Once the problem already occurred, now you have to bring him into justice. So the rules of the Torah are pretty clear. The more you learn, the more you see the logic. Of course, today, if you tell the Libras that someone was about to turn a Jew into the authorities, according to the Torah, you're allowed to kill him, they're going to say, wow, you're crazy, barbaric. You know, okay, we don't care what they say. I, I, I told it to someone in England today. I say today, a kosher rabbi have to be flattered, happy, drink lechaim every day with his wife if the wicked people are criticizing him. He have to cry every day if no wicked people criticizing him. If you go one month and now one wicked person criticized you or attacked you or made up stories about you or demonstrate against you, that means the Satan does not care about who you are and is not afraid of you even a bit. You're not a threat to the Satan. Speak as much as you want, Rabbi. As much as you want. You're not scaring me because you're not going to make one Jew come closer to Hashem. So what do I care? Speak. It's actually good for the Satan that he would attract attention. The Satan has one fear. I don't want people that take Reuven, Mechalel Shabbat, and after the lecture, Reuven becomes Shomer Shabbat. This I don't want. I won't agree. I don't want... Ruven who lives with the Goya right now and he's going to go into a two hours lecture and after that he will tell them, I'm sorry, have a nice life. I'm not allowed to marry you. I cannot be with you. That's what I don't want. People who just tell stories, let them tell stories. What do I care? I want to teach about the parasha. Let them teach about the parasha. I don't want people that will shake people. So now, if nobody barks against you, that means what do you do right? If the wicked people all unite against you, wow, you know you're doing very well. The Satan is going crazy. The Satan is going crazy. Why? Why? Because he knows that every event is few more ballet tshuva. Guarantee. Oh, now the books, the CDs, the USBs, after the lecture and what people will watch online, you see from the comments. Go in every YouTube video, see the comments. See. What the people write? The lecture changed my whole life. My whole family became religious. Hundreds of messages like this. Like every week, more and more and more. You cannot count how many. Why? Because it works. But what do you expect? You're going to be successful. You're going to make so many people come to Hashem and the Satan will clap for you. And the wicked people will say, what a great speaker. You are the bigger threat to them. You are the bigger threat to them. They go crazy when you speak about punishment because they know that's what's going to be their end. They try to block your mouth. Don't say it. You know how people say, don't tell me, don't say it. If I say it or not, that's still reality. That's what's going to be. Some people, they care for the truth. They care for the truth. What does it mean they care for the truth? I made a lecture in, a, the lecture in one of them I did not post in Queens. I said there are three kinds of people, three kinds. First kind is people that hate the truth. They cannot hear it. Everywhere they go and they hear the truth, they go crazy. 
They don't want to hear it. They hate it. They don't even want to listen. There's no chance for them to even listen and to change. Erev Rav, completely. Then the second kind of people are people who love the truth, agree with the truth, love, admire the truth. Everything is fine by them. And they live according to the truth. But as soon as they have to pay a price for that truth, they change totally their attitude. Meaning, you tell them, okay, you want to do this and this and that, it's going to cost you such and such. Okay? Okay, so it's not so important. Forget it. Why? What about Hashem? As long as it didn't cost me, I would do it. Now I have to pay for it, I'm not going to do it. Or people will insult them. So right away they back up. They back down. Uh, or, any, or they have to fight for the truth. Or they have to demonstrate for the truth. Or they have to protest. Or they have to sweat very much to maybe save their brother from making sins. As soon as it becomes inconvenience, a burden, people begin to attack him. Or anything like that. Some people immediately run away. Some people try to resist, then they run away. Some people really, really try, then they run away. The, this is the second category. What is it? Second category is people that love the truth. They try to live by the truth as long as it doesn't cost me too much. Not money, efforts. Reputation, shame, etc. And there are the third kind. What is the third kind? The third kind is people that love the truth, admire the truth, stick to the truth, and the truth is above everything. They don't care. They don't care whatsoever what's going to be the price. You don't like me, don't speak to me, you don't want, you want to fire me. You're not going to give me jobs anymore. You won't order merchandise from me anymore. You don't let me into your liberal shul anymore. No problem. I don't work for you. I don't represent you. I care about the boss. The boss has very clear rules. This is allowed and this is not allowed. Okay? So, if I have to be a politician and modify my words and my truth because I'm afraid you're going to do this to me or you will do that to me, so I give up the religion. That's not the right way. There are people, not a lot, very few people, that for the truth, they're willing to lose a lot. One example, if you remember once I told you a story about this tzaddik, Rav Moshe Malka, Alava Shalom. If you will tell Rav Moshe Malka, if you don't get up now to make my machronim after you ate bread, big deal, my machronim. It's not the most important halacha, right? Some people don't even do it lechatchila. You have to go and put some water on your fingers before you do Birkat Amazon. If you, if you come to Ramosh Malka, Alava Shalom, and tell him, Rabbi, I'll give you right now a million dollar cash if you don't do my machronim. Not only won't listen to you, they will get so angry at you, get out of here, I don't want to look at you anymore. Because his whole foundation was so attached to Akash Baruch Hu, he just didn't know otherwise. That's, it is what it is, and that's it. 
You would come to breakfast with him, it would finish 8 p.m. 8 p.m. He couldn't stop. He just couldn't stop his, his love for Hashem. And, and it was, you don't find people like this that much. You don't find. I saw in my own eyes. He gave up a private room with a private mikveh and by a rich family, a whole community, donations, lectures, everything. Why? Because he did not agree with what they did to one Jew. They tried to brainwash him against that Jew. He called that Jew to check. He spoke to him. After the Jew proved to him everything, he came back to them and said, you are wrong, he's right. His blood is not less red than yours. He's right, not you. No, that, that. I said, listen, everything he said was the truth. You have to do tshuva. He was right and you are all wrong. And you have to listen to what he say and do tshuva. No, what is this? How are we going to let you speak in our place if you speak like this? He said, you don't need to let me speak in your place because I already made up my mind I will never step in your shul ever again. Or not in a room or not in a mikveh. And I don't want a penny from any one of you. And believe me, it was a lot of money. A lot of money every year. And he need the money. He had yeshiva in Bnei Brak, 700 kids. But his emunah in Hashem was so solid that he said, I don't care what's going to happen. I don't move an inch from the truth. Doesn't matter what the price is going to be, even they kill me. And what do you think happened? Where do you think Hashem sent him a week or two later? After he left them. Right here, to the Syrian community in Flatbush. Until now, the donations were in hundreds. The donations became in thousands now. Because over here, Baruch Hashem, the people are a lot wealthier than over there. So, did he lose? Of course not. He got ten times or more. Because nobody in the long run ever loses from sticking to the truth. I tell you, on my way here, one of my students sent me a video, very disturbing video. Hasidish singer with a streimel on his head. Streimel on his head. On a stage. I don't know what's his name. But... There was a concert. There is a crowd. There is men in one side. There is a fence. There's no mechitza. Like here you see, you put mechitza. There's no mechitza. But there's some kind of a fence between the men and the women. What they attached. They attached. They see each other. They stand next to each other. Hundreds of women. Religious women. He sings in Yiddish. In Yiddish. Chilonim don't go to Yiddish concert. You know that, right? And he started to sing some kind of a Goyish song, I don't know, in Yiddish words, but you can see right away that the music is Goyish. And he jumped, and hundreds of women were screaming like the Goyot of Manhattan. Such a disturbing video. This is to back up what I've been saying in the last few weeks, that the Orthodox world is in a total bankruptcy. Total. It's all collapsing. Everything. Everywhere you go, it's all collapsing. There's no more emet, it's all politics, no more modesty. A call is baloney now. Yes, there are still a lot of tzaddikim. Yes, yet, still a lot of tzaddikim. I don't know, 10%, 20%.
I'm talking only the religious communities. I'm not talking secular. Secular, I already understand what's going on over there. I'm talking from people who work with yamaka or cover their hair, women. If you see what, how they behave, you cannot believe that Jewish people got to such a low level. So I'm much to cry. Just looking at that concert, someone filmed from the back. How they scream. Screaming like crazy. And you think to yourself, this is what we became? This is what Hasidim? Like Hasidim? By modern people, you see all kinds of things. Let's go, let's go out of this world. The faster, the better. You know what it is? It's so scary. I'm so worried that something massive is going to happen in the end. Because reality shows that every once in a while Hashem loses patience for us. That's it. It's reality. Cannot deny reality. Holocaust and pogrom and this and that. Who knows what? It's very scary. But it's, uh, yesterday in my lecture I brought a lot of sources how the scenes affect our situation. From the Tanakh, from the Talmud, from the Mishnah, from everywhere. Lots of sources. That Mamash, you see how Hashem reacts to what we do. One of the psukim there is, Avonotechem itu. Your sins turned everything to the negative side, meaning the punishment had to come because your sin turned the scale into the negative. Once the scale went into the negative, Hashem's retaliation came. You want to get angry? Get angry. You want to ignore? Ignore. Or you want to do something about it? At least save yourself. It's very difficult to save the whole world. At least save yourself, save your children, save someone. The two or three, five people around you that you can save, try to save them. Because when the boat will, will be drowning, only very few people will make it to the saving boats. There's not enough for everyone. The way we behave right now with what's happening, with the corruption, with the horrible thing, the corruptions in some of the Batedin, they caught... One big famous Dayan in England doing the worst scene of the Torah. The worst. Worse than murder. Scene that it's almost impossible to do tshuva for it. You know what the Chilul Hashem? 30 years is in a bed in decide who's going to live, who's going to die, who's going to pay, who's going to lose. In the end they found him the most corrupted person in a community. That's why everything is on fire over there. That's why, for whatever reason, Hashem insists that I'll go there, I guess. I don't know why. I didn't even want to go there. I keep saying, no, yeah. I said, what do I need this headache for? I'll send you CDs, give them out. Why? I'm not charging for the lectures. I work for free. I don't get paid by the hour. I leave my family almost a week. Nobody pays me for that. I do it because I want to save souls. I get the insult of all these liberal reshaim non-stop from morning to night. Nine articles in the secular newspapers against me that the clown chief rabbi of England gives them information still of helping religion in his community. He gives information to the secular wicked reporters to write that I should not come. <laughs> you understand? But for whatever reason, Hashem decided, no, they're going to hear it one way or the other. That's it.
we'll see what's going to be. But I feel bad for the few good people there in England. There are good people, of course. Few tzaddikim, few anashim with irat shamayim. I got to know them. There are people that listen to the lecture and they're very good. And they eat their heart. Some of them already told me, we must leave England. There's no future here. We must leave the place. Rav Sternbuch, if you remember, a few months ago, three, four months ago, he wrote a letter against the chief rabbi of England that all rabbis must condemn him and fight him to remove all his terrible decisions. Because if you sit quiet, a tragedy will come to the community. Do you remember that I read you the letter from Rabbi Sternbuch? He's the biggest rabbi in the world. And the tragedy did come. First of all, now the biggest Hilul Hashem. A judge, a Dayan, in a bedding of London. Bedding of London. You know what it is? Was caught in a worse thing. But forget about this. There's something worse than that. The English government decided that they must teach pure Jewish children from yeshivot about all the mentally sick people who does act of abomination for a living, that now you have to bring this dirt into the holy rooms that they teach Torah and Gemara, you must teach it in yeshiva. That there's nothing wrong with them. Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to murder, I'm going to rape, I'm going to live with a man, I'm going to live with a dog, and you will teach your children that I'm right and you are wrong. And if not, I'll close your school. Democracy. Democracy. Freedom. You tell me what to teach my children? Yes, if not, I don't give you a permit to have a school. It's one thing, they say, I don't want to give you money. Okay, with this, at least you can argue. Okay. You want budgets for me? I'll tell you what to teach. At least you understand where it comes from. But here, we're not talking about budget. We're talking permit. You're not going to teach, you're not going to have school. In New York, the same thing, by the way. Not to teach about abomination, but to teach secular study for seven hours a day, meaning close all the yeshivot. That's the situation we're in. And what are we busy with? Huh? Cancer, jumping, screaming. You don't believe me? I wish I could display it mamash like this in front of the camera for everyone to see what I just saw on the way here. Rabotai, these lectures are recorded. In five years from now, people will still watch it. Until today, I have people who send me parts of what I say five years ago. And then they show me how it happened. I'll give you an example. One guy sent me yesterday a picture. Here is the picture. I saved it. Men and women cancer statistic. Remember what I've been saying, no? All alone, for years. What did I say? What's the number one cancer by women? Breast cancer. What's the second one? Ovaries, uterus, uh, wound, all this area over there. By men, what's the number one cancer? Prostate. Here. 
I'll read it to you. Let me read it to you. As of January 1st, listen to the statistic. Male, prostate, number one in the world, 3,306,760 in the United States. 3,306,760 people had it. Colon and rectum, 724,690 cases. Numbers two in the list. Women, female, breast cancer, number one in the list. 3,560,570 cases. Uterine corpus. 757,190. Number three, colon and rectum, 727,350. Coincidence? Continue, continue to say coincidence. Is it going to make your situation better? Only going to get worse. The Rambam writes, it's a very big crime to say coincidence. Very big crime. If you believe that something that happened to you is because of natural causes, you're a very big criminal, and the Rambam call you, what word? Cruel person. Rambam say it's cruelty. Cruelty. You don't believe me? I'll read it to you. I'll give you the source. Go and check. Don't say I make up things. Rambam is a top authority in the last thousand years. <laughs> you don't... You don't want to listen to the Rambam, you might as well take your kippah and put it in the garbage. What's the show for? What do you need to pull it show? The words of the Rambam, Rabotai, it gives goosebumps to someone that has a little bit irat shamayim. You don't need a lot, a little bit. This is the words of the Rambam. The Rambam said, It's in Rambam, Perek Aleph, Alacha Aleph, Ad Gimel. Mitzvat Asemina Torah, Lizrok. It's mitzvah from the Torah to scream. And to blow the, the trumpets. Today we have siren. When there's a war, they shoot a missile, there's a tragedy, or God forbid, you have sirens today. You don't need trumpets. But what did you do 900 years ago? If you have to let all the people in the town to know that there's a big problem right now, you blow the trumpets. It's from the Torah. The Torah said to blow the trumpets to announce that there's a tragedy in town. Mitzvah from the Torah, everyone should scream and blow the trumpets for every tragedy that comes to the public. As it's written, You blow the trumpets for the tragedy that came to you. Everything that is a problem, such as millions of grasshoppers is on the way to town to eat all the vegetables and trees. It's a massive problem. Years it took to grow everything. It's going to kill everyone now. There's no food, no nothing. 
People are very nervous. Scream to Hashem and blow the, prump, the trumpets. And everyone should know. Hear the words of the Rambam. I read it in Hebrew and then in English. And everyone should know that because of their bad actions, they, this bad is coming to them, measure for measure. Kakatuv, as it's written, Avonotechem itu elelachem. Your sin turn everything to the negative side, and that's why it comes to you. And Vezeu, Shigrom Laem, Lasirat Saram Alem. This is what will help to remove the problem from them. Screaming to Hashem, asking for forgiveness, acknowledging why we are being punished. Today, we lost this acknowledgement almost completely. For every hundred religious Jews, one maximum, maximum two, acknowledging I'm getting it because I deserve it. My things, my sins cause me this problem. Today, not only nobody acknowledge, today if you tell someone, maybe you do tshuva and you work on this and this and that, he becomes your enemy for life. You cannot take criticism and no rebuke. Not only that, if you tell a person, you know why it happened to you? Because this is what you do. He screams, who told you? What are you pretending you're a prophet? It's definitely not because of that. This is the way the world is. This is nature. There was a hurricane in town. It's nothing to do with what I do. Religious people. Contradicting what? The 13th principle of Judaism. Contradicting the Gemara. Contradicting the prophets. Contradicting the Chumash. Contradicting Rambam. Contradicting Shulchan Aruch. The Rambam continues. But if they won't scream, and they will not blow the trumpets, they would say, that's the way the world is. Economy is bad. Goim don't love Jews. That's why they attacked. It's nothing to do with our sins. Arab hate us, so they kill us. It's nothing to do with our sins. What does it have to do with breaking Shabbat? What does it have to do with Lashon Arayim Sinat Chinam? What does it have to do with this and this and that? Don't give us this nonsense. They get angry. Instead of admitting, Chatanu, Avinu, Pashanu. What do they do? Listen, I'm Rambam. I'm reading you Rambam. Tarazo nikronikret. It happened to be. Happened to be. Arezo derech achzariyut. This is a way of cruelty. Vegoremet laem liidabek bemaaseim araim. It caused the people to stick to their evil actions. Vetosif atzarat zarot acherot. Not only this problem will not go away. No problems are on the way now as results of that. Oh, coincidence? 
ערבס, אקאנמי, אדר פיפול, איראן, you find excuses, אה? you don't take responsibility. So what's gonna happen? Other problems will be added. Where it's written in the Torah, פרשת בחוקותיי. אם תלכו עמי בקרי, אף אני אלך עמכם בקרי, בחמת קרי. קרי means מקרה, coincidence. או oh, you use coincidence against me, no problem. I'm gonna add seven times more problems to your problems. Until you become crazy ממראה עיניך, זה תורה זה. והיית משוגע ממראה עיניך. You become crazy from what your eyes see every day. Problem with this kid, problem with your daughter, problem in a business, problem with a partner, problem with your wife, partner in your health, problems in your health, lost money, problem with the government, problem with the neighbor, problem with your car. Oh, come on, I don't know where to start. Then you hear the rabbi say, do tshuva, stop with your sinat chinam, stop typing things against the Torah in the internet. What does he do? He's flooded with problems. He runs to the internet to write even more poison. You understand? Who is he to tell us? That's, what they, that's what's going on. That's why the problems only accumulate more and more. This is cruelty to say coincidence. Cruelty. And the Rambam continue. I will add on you Hamat Keri. Much more worse. Much worse. A person has to know what happens in reality happen only because of our choices and bad things we do. There's no such thing natural reality. No such thing. The thief came to your house from hundreds of houses in the neighborhood because Hashem wanted him. Because he wanted you to lose $10,000 today. That's why, that's it. No other way. And now you have to sit and think, why it happened to me? Why? Now, some people would say, oh, foolish me, my wife saying, stole an alarm. It's my fault, I should have put an alarm. Alarm? So foolish. Alarm will save you from Hashem? Oh, I should have bought that model car that when you come too close to the car, it beeps and stops the car automatically. If I would spend another $20 on a lease, it wouldn't happen. You see, it's all your fault. Or should I leave the car with the key inside the ignition lock and rely on Hashem? Why the lock it? I did it for years. <laughs> you did it for years? Yes. Where? I did not have locks on my doors in my house for 15 years. No locks. You can open and come in. Until the crazy guy came into my house. Remember what happened? Yeah. And he walked into my bedroom. Then my wife forced me to put locks. It was up to me. I would still not have locks. Imagine this. You, you open up your eyes and you see somebody standing in your bedroom next, next to your bed and he looks like an Arab terrorist. If you would leave your car with your key in the, in the ignition, uh-huh. your car will be stolen in less than an hour. You think so? But, 
if someone else would do it, he can stay there for 10 years. Now, you, I want you with your genius red head to tell me why by you it will be stolen in one hour and by the other person it will be there for 10 years. Right yeah. Okay. So now I have news for you, my friend. This was before you made your announcement now. Next time, leave your car and see how quick it will be stolen. But I want you to tell me why by you it will be stolen in one day and by someone else it will be there for 10 years. No, I tell you why. Because you think that the luck and the security and the alarm, that's what saves you. Somebody else that knows everything is in the hand of Hashem and this is how he lives his life, then Hashem runs with him, interacts with him by his level of emunah. Amen, amen. May I have your key, I go, put it in your car, start the engine, and from now on, by me, it will be very good. I get a nice insurance check. <laughs> I know one Bukharian guy that became religious 20-something years ago, and he told me a story. He lived somewhere in Queens, and he said the car was horrible. Lots of mileage, problems with the engine, transmission. If he would sell it, he would get a few thousand dollars for it. If it would be stolen, he would get three or four times more, because in the book it's worth a lot. So what did he do? He left the window of the car open, and every day was reading that the car will be stolen. How long did it take? Three months. One day he came, the car was not there. He had to see how he was happy. Oh, my God! I was trying to make a point that, yes, of course, everything depends on Hashem. But you're supposed to do your Ishtablut. You're 100 percent right. Now the amount, the amount of ishtadlut, the amount of ishtadlut, the amount of ishtadlut is depend on how much you have confidence in Hashem. The amount of ishtadlut. I know a person. Believe me, it's not an exaggeration. That if you give him a check, and the check bounces, he will not even call you about it. If you send him a new check on your own, he get it. If not, he won't bother you. I once asked him, I don't get it. If a person gave you a check, maybe he made a mistake, he didn't calculate, the check bounced. So he said, why should I waste my time running after him? Whatever, whatever I, do, I deserve to get, I get from Hashem by the end of the year, between Rosh Hashanah and Rosh Hashanah. With this check, without this check, I get it. That's a person with lots of emunah. No, Tell me, how many rabbis you know that come to the mail every day and have 30 or 40 envelopes? And they see, check, check, check. And they open it up and they look, $180. Who is this? They rip the check, put in the garbage. $1,000. Rip the check, put in the garbage. And that, that's a good one. I take this, $100. Rip the check, put it. In my own eyes, I saw it. Show me this, Rabbi. I want to yeah? So fast. I would say his name right now. I, I don't want to say it because it's recorded. No, because then he's going to send me someone. Why, why are you, you know telling stories about so me? Fast. He doesn't want to. So 
show off. In my own eyes, I came to his driveway. He was standing by the mailbox, ripping the check and throwing it into the garbage can. Wait, wait. Then after I was shocked seeing it, I said, well, why are you ripping the check? So I don't want to get money from every person. I walked with him into his house and he opened the drawer, big door. And there was more than, I don't know, maybe a hundred checks there. You see, you see? I said, what is this? He said, this is all the checks that people ever gave me in the shul. He has a shul in his house. All the checks that people gave me donation, I never cashed once. I asked him for two things. I asked him why. He said, I don't want anyone to be a boss here. You get donation from him in the shul, tomorrow he's going to tell you. Why are you making a blessing for this? Why you don't make a blessing for the state of Israel? Why you don't give this Mechalel Shabbat Aliyah? Why my cousin came and you did not respect him? It's Shabbat Chatan. I don't want anything from anyone. I pay the electric. I pay the water. I pay the tissue. I pay the cleaning. I pay the Sefer Torah. I pay for everything. You come here in my house. You pray. I pay for everything. I don't want anything from you. Nobody here makes a beep. Three things, man, right? Fine. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. So the Rambam says, if someone behave like this, this is midat achzariyot. It's cruelty. It's cruelty not to recognize what happens. It's something. Where does it say? It says, Nachpesa drachenu venachkora venashuva elecha. The clear verse. We have to check carefully, evaluate our ways with you, Hashem, and investigate and return back and do tshuva. Nachpesa, we say it in the slichot. Nachpesa drachenu venachkora venashuva. No, נחפסה דרחנו ונחקורה ונשובה אליך. נחפסה, that means we look, like you look with a magnified glass, our ways, ונחקורה, and we will investigate deep, and we will return to you, Hashem. We will see what we do wrong, and then we will fix our ways. This is the way of the kosher Jew. This is the way of a kosher Jew. Remember, Hashem knows people have desires. Hashem knows it's very difficult to overcome desires, especially in this generation. The main test is how you react when you make a sin. Eh, big deal. Or right away, wow, what did I do? Let me fix it. Hashem, help me not to do it again. It's a very, very important reaction in Shamaim, depending on how you handle the sin. Hashem also doesn't want you to go in bed and become depressed for two days. That's also not good. But the main thing, Rabotai, is taking responsibility. We are one week before Purim. And you know, we call the Megillah Megillat Esther. Why not Megillat Mordechai? Who was more important in a miracle, Mordechai or Esther? Depend who you ask. If you ask the lefties, <coughs> Esther. If you ask the righties, Mordechai. 
feminist would say, Esther, of course, Esther, ma? In reality, we see that we named the Megillah Megillat Esther and not Megillat Mordechai. Why shouldn't we call it Megillat Mordechai and Esther to be equally fair? Yeah. Megillat Hadassah, that was her original Jewish name, Hadassah. The answer is because everything in the Megillah, it's a sterpanin. Don't have the name of Hashem. Hashem is hiding himself in a miracle. It looks like the people did the miracle, not Hashem. So we're going to learn some secrets about Purim. First miracle in Purim is when Esther came to Achashverosh palace. Five years she was there. Five years. And every day they ask her, excuse me, me, your majesty, the queen Esther, they made her a name, Esther. Her name was Adasa. Where are you from? What religion you are? She doesn't want to say. I prefer not to discuss this. And five years, they don't know that Esther is Jewish. So what's the miracle? The miracle is that there was not one Jewish trader in the whole nation. Today, in less than a minute, all these lefties would write on Facebook. You know what? I take it back. They will do something worse. They will come to the king. I, I have a very valuable information to give to the king, but I must give it to him in person. It's very important. No, no, come on. Don't, don't waste our time. No, no, I promise you. If it's not important, you can kill me. Let me in for one second to the king. King Ahasuerus, as one Jew over here, he said that he has very valuable information to give your majesty. Okay, tell him to write it down and take it from him. No, no, he insists to give it to you in person. Is he normal? Look normal. He went to Harvard. Yes. He's a professor. Yes, professor. Yes, yes. Very, he, he vote Democrats. He's a big fan of Hussein. Yes. Oh, okay, fine. So let him in. Ah, your majesty, nice to meet you. Okay. No. What can I do for you, Mr. Jew? Shh, between me and you, king. I hope you remember I'm the one who gave you the news. Yes, what's the news? Your wife, Esther, she's a Jew. What? A Jew? Why she's not saying it for five years? I know where she's from. I can show you, I can show you the neighborhood where she grew up. I can show you her uncle. Her uncle is the rabbi, Mordechai. He's in the Sanhedrin with the 71 rabbis. He's the one who make all the problems here. He is the one who told the people not to go to your party. This Jewish trader. You should do something about these people. These religious people are killing us. There was not one trader. Everyone was religious, but for real, not like now. So why Hashem wanted to kill everyone? We are a billion times worse than what they used to be. And today, so far, there's no decree to kill us all, Baruch Hashem. Why Hashem wanted to kill millions of Jews? All the Jews in the 127 countries of Achashverosh were in jeopardy. The letter was already sent. I always say we're lucky that Haman did not live in today. 
if Haman lived today, how long it would take him to finalize his plan? One day. I would post it on YouTube, social media, CNN, all the goyim in 127 countries. The king has announced, the president has announced, tomorrow afternoon, from 2 p.m., everyone that sees a Jew, anywhere in his town, in his place, at work, must kill him. If we find out you saw a Jew and you did not kill him, we will kill you. Do not ignore this message. This is a final notice. That's it. The next day, 2 o'clock, I ran to the synagogue, two places. You won't be able to, everyone would hide in, under the ground. Where would you hide? They come to houses, every people would take off their mezuzot. In one day, the problem would be over. We were lucky that 23, 2400 years ago, there was no social media. And there was no t TV and no radio. And in order for you to tell people in 127 countries, you have to write with a feather, a letter, with a stamp of the king, and send someone on a horse for days or for a week or for two weeks to go to every one of the country. Goes to India, every city in India. Something like this took a year until they got the letters. They have to prepare for it. That's why it took a year, and that gives us enough time to save ourselves. Now, I want to ask you a question. Why did Hashem decide to kill all the Jewish people if they were all religious? The question is, how do I know all the Jews back then, they were all religious? Because when Haman came to Achashverosh with the plan, the final solution, he came to Achashverosh and he told him, listen, there is a strange nation with a strange language, with a strange clothing. Everything by them is different than us. It's time to clean them from the world. The Achashverosh understood that he's talking about the Jews, the Jewish people. Because all of them dressed different. All of them spoke different. All of them had a different religion and customs. They knew right away who was a Jew. Everyone was Jew. If only 20% of the Jews were like that, how, how would you describe it to the king that they're all different? They all speak in a different language. Obviously, you would have to say some of them, not all of them. Then the king would begin to say, so who do you want to kill? The one that behave different or everybody? He said, no, I want to kill everyone. But you just told me you want to kill them because they're strange and they have different religions. But 80% of them are not religious. They talk, they break Shabbat, they eat on Yom Kippur, they marry Goim. Why should we kill them? They help us more than our own people. Well, why? They're doctors, they're good lawyers, they're good judges, they're anti-Israel, they support the BDS. Look at George Soros. He's our best buddy. He does the job for us against them. Why should we kill him? He's a very good partner. Everything he does is against the Jews in Israel. Why? Why kill him? He's a great asset. In the Holocaust, he told the Nazis where the Jews hide their money. That's what he was doing. That's why they kept him alive. 
He was working for the Nazis. From a young age, he's a trader, Erev Rav. Lefty, support BDS. It's nothing new. So why should we call someone like that? Haman would not succeed if there were so many liberals and lefties. No one would, no one would buy that. Come on, they're all <laughs> helping us. They all vote Democrats. Leave them alone. But back then there was no such thing. No traders, no Democrats, none of this nonsense. Everyone was religious. So what was the problem? No, who can tell me what was the problem? What did the Jews do? That they deserve all to die. They were all Shomer Shabbat. All women were modest. Every woman would, would become a, a, a woman only when she got married. She never ever let a man touch her before the wedding. Yes, that was the custom back then. Everyone eat glad kosher. Everyone slaughter the animal glad kosher. They have rabbis. They have bedding. What do you want from them? Nobody can be perfect all the time. At a very high level. Why there was such a decree? Who knows? They went to the party. They went to the party. Is this a reason to kill a nation that they went to a party? Remember, I want to remind you. The party was a six-month show. Like Jacob Javits Center. They show, they have boots. They show all kinds of nice art, treasures. Among that, from Bet HaMikdash. How Hashverosh had treasures from Bet HaMikdash? The Babylonians stole it when they destroyed the first temple. The temple that King Solomon built was destroyed by the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar. He stole all the treasures. And then Persia had a war with Babylon and defeated them and took all the treasures from them. And now they show all the treasures of Bet HaMikdash. You wouldn't be curious to go see it? If they have now in Jacob Javits Center a show, and they show you the menorah of King Shlomo. They show you the Chatzotzrot. They show you the Mizbeach. They show you everything they have, the Kruvim. You wouldn't die to see it? Oh. So, and they made glad kosher section. Everything glad kosher. Chasfidi shehechsher. No, Persian hechsher. Persian hechsher. Persian. Humble people. So everything is not kosher. Wine in barrels, sealed. Only the Jew opened it up. 100% not Yain Neser. Mordechai is standing by the gate. Every Jew that comes, he says, I'm begging of you, don't go in. Hi, Rabbi. It's glad kosher. Look, look how the waiters cut the meat. Like in a wedding. Slice. Look how they slice the locks. You tell me not to go in? Look how this guy fixed the sushi so nice. Why, Rabbi? This is a great hechsher. What's the problem? It's a section only for us, the Jews. Even a Persian Jew singer they brought. Huh? Or Bukharian maybe? No, there were no Bukharians back then. Bukharians came out of the Persian later on. So what happened? I don't get it. What is the massive anger? You're not going to believe it, Rabotai. The reason that the decree was made because they disrespected the chief authority right there, Mordechai. Mordechai was a very big rabbi from the Sanhedrin. The big rabbi. 
A real one, not like the clowns today. That tell you, oh my God, they want to move the Eurovision out of Tel Aviv. The chief rabbi of England. That's what he cares about, the Eurovision. A bunch of naked going sing to the whole world. Now the European anti-Semites, they did not want to have it in Israel. They want to punish Israel. He heard it. He almost got a heart attack. Oh my God, make sure it's in Israel. If he could, he would bring it into Bet HaMikdash, maybe. This is who we're living by today. We're not talking about this kind of leader. Mordechai, you understand that he was a different kind of leader, right? The big tzaddik is standing over there and he tells you, don't go into the party. What are you supposed to say? Of course, Rabbi. No question asked. You told me not to go, I don't go. That Torah. Authority of the Chachamim. Where does it say it in the Torah? Where? Which parasha? No? Very good. Thank, thank Rabbi Gugel. What? <laughs> <laughs> so, Parashat Shoftim, it says everything the Chachamim tells you, you must listen to them. Don't move left, don't move right. And if you do, what's the punishment for that? Death penalty. Death penalty. You don't deserve to live. Why I don't deserve to live? I'm Shomer Shabbat. I'm putting tefillin. Kohen and Dayan. You know what Dayan means? It doesn't say Dayan there. There, it says Kohen replaced by Dayan. Or Kohen Rabbi. But in, in the Parashat Shaftim, it says go to the, to the, to the Mikdash, find the Kohen, ask him to decide the question between the people and Hashem, as between the people and the people. So, Google Rabbi. <laughs> I, I have it in my own phone. I don't need Google Rabbi. Yeah, I don't need the phone. This is my Torah. <laughs> This is the source is Deuteronomy 17, verse 9. You heard me, Mr. Gorbachev? He does say Dayan. Next time, don't say things that are not accurate. Uvata el akoanim. הלוויים ואל השופט אשר יהיה בימים ההם ודרשת והגידו לך את דבר המשפט. You cannot be שופט unless you are very big, very big rabbi that knows the whole Torah. דיין is שופט. Explain to him. דיין is שופט. Alright, fine. No, but in English it says judge. And a judge Obviously, you cannot be a judge if you first day in, medi in uh, law school, right? You have to be very knowledgeable. Shofet that tell the difference between cases and decide who is right has to be a big Talmid Chacham. Today, you know how long it takes to become a Dayan? If you're really, really genius, minimum 20 years. 
if you're nothing special, 30 years. To be in full control in Choshen Mishpat, all the halachot, everything is mamash difficult, really difficult. There are very hard cases, very hard cases. Remember, the Torah is not like by the Goim. The Goim, many times, the judge rule based on his own hunch and based on his own opinion. He has a minimum and maximum. But he decides. He can decide. You go four years, you go eight years. Why? That's what I want. In the Torah, it's not like that. In the Torah, it has to be precise to all people. Rich, poor. That has to be based on 100% knowledge. Oh my God, oh my God. Are you really that twisted in your head? These hats do not do good. I know the answer, but it means that it's also a question. Should those people listen unconditionally, or they still have some kind of deviation and some kind of right to make their own decision? If, okay, if a rabbi tells you to do something that it's clear to everyone that is against the halacha, you're not allowed to listen to How it. How do you know? If he tells you eat shrimps, everybody knows it's not allowed. If he tells you eat pork, it's not allowed. Eat dog, it's not allowed. If he tells you go kill that person, yeah, it's not allowed. I'm very primitive guy. If it says, go to the Dayan, like the interpreter there, ask him, and after he tells you, don't go left and don't go right. And you must listen to him. And if the Dayan told you to do something not kosher, he's going to pay the price. By the way, there is one of the Taryag mitzvot, if the Bedin made a mistake, they have to bring a sacrifice as repentance for their mistake. Huh? Korban, yeah. So if the, if the big rabbi, the young, which I came to ask a question, he gave the question, not a video. Should I listen to him according to the no. Everybody knows you're not allowed to eat Hazir. If he tells you to eat Hazir, tomorrow morning is not going to be Dayan anymore. According to you, don't worry. Eat Hazir is going to be on him, not on you. He told you to do it, you can do it. If, you do, if you're really that dumb and you didn't know that you're not allowed to eat Hazir, you didn't know, right? You're born in St. Petersburg. You didn't know anything from your life. And you really went to a communist school. And then you came to Jerusalem, first day of your life. And they brought you meat, and you came to the rabbi over there, the big Diane in a bed din, and he looked at that and said, it's okay, you can eat, you are 100% clean. I sent you the video. How you don't have to worry. I sent you the video how you are. Yeah. Well, if a man would kill everyone, there would always be few people that escape, obviously. Not everyone dies. Even when you want to kill a whole nation, you cannot really kill them to the last person. It's impossible. Most likely, the decree was not on Mordechai, because Mordechai was the one who were trying to save the situation. Why should he die with the wicked people? But before we go into the question section, let me first at least finish the idea what I was talking. Mordechai is protesting, and they ignored him. How many people went into the party? How many people? How many Jews? Many thousands. Not one or two. Many thousands of people. And they eat for six months. Every day. Glad kosher pastrami. 
גלאט כושר צ'ורבה, גלאט כושר לחמג'ין, גלאט כושר גפילטפיש, whatever you like, oh wait a minute, it was איראן, גלאט כושר גונדי, גלאט כושר גור מסבזי, that's it, all, who wouldn't want it, all Jews eating and the king paid the bill, how they call it, שמוגלסבורג, Six months. Plus, you see all kinds of nice things around. Everybody mingling. Nice, good Persian beer. Why not? What's the results? Holocaust. So, if the big rabbi issues a decree, we all have to listen. Yes, chief. Today we don't have one big chief rabbi. We have every community have their own chief rabbi. In the Actually, you gave a very good example or, from... Or death no, no. You, actually, you gave a very good example from the Syrian community. The Syrian community, I don't know, 78 years ago, they had a bedin that made a decree that they don't marry converts and they don't do conversions. The Torah allowed to make conversions and to marry converts. Converts are Jews 100%. But the Syrians have, they saw that a lot of the Goim wants to marry their children and some of them are fake. They're not real converts. As a result of that, they saw that there's too many problems because now there are children in the community, you don't know if they're Jewish or not. It's a questionable conversion. They saw it's too much headache. They say, you know what, better not to deal with that than to live in a doubt all your life. No conversions allowed. So how many years is this? I don't know, 78 years. It was a long, long time ago. You see, everyone obeyed these rules. All the Syrian shuls in Mexico, here, everywhere you go, same rule, which is very impressive. Now, there's no death penalty today. Remember, there's no Sanhedrin. If Sanhedrin were existing today and they made a decree and someone goes against them, that's a very big problem. It could definitely be death penalty. Yes. Over here we're not talking uh, death by Sanhedrin. Over here Hashem say, if you don't listen to the Chachamim, that you are subject to so death penalty. Okay. But it's actually written, Someone who does not listen to the Chachamim has to be put to death. <laughs> but you know what? It gets even better. If you have a retired judge, Let's see, the judges now are 50 years old in average. He's 80 years old. Who knows more Torah? A rabbi that learned 80 years or a rabbi that learned 50 years? Who should know more Torah? 80. The 80 years have much more years of learning. He should know more. So if he retired from Sanhedrin and Sanhedrin decides something that is allowed and he comes out and says publicly, I disagree, it's not allowed. What's his punishment? Death penalty. Why? I know better Torah than them. You're not in a Sanhedrin anymore. You, you want to yourself to do, not to do, it's your issue. You say publicly to people what Sanhedrin say, it's not true, you have to do it this way, you mored. It's called Zaken Mamre. Zaken, an old, an old Chacham, that Mored rebel against Sanhedrin. 
even though some of them can be his children, or grandchildren maybe. But in reality, there are rules in the Torah, because the Torah cannot be a free market. It has to be rules. You understand? Many times, I'll give you an example. Many times, people know their place, if they're humbled enough. I'll give you an example. When kosher switch came out, remember? Kosher switch. The guy that made the kosher switch came to me and showed me how it works. Showed me the whole system. All you have to do is to move a piece of plastic. You don't touch the electric. The computer randomly check when to send the poles. You just move it. It's like opening a door. If you open a door, wind come in. This. You're not doing anything really. He showed me there's no grammar, no nothing. He showed me the, from the engineer how it works. For me, it was very clear in two minutes. There's no problem here. Not rabbinical, nothing. Then he showed me a video and letters from three very famous New York rabbis that are considered authority in halacha. They have community, rabbis of shul, talmidei chachamim, learn Torah all their life. One of them spoke in front of the video. I check it, I evaluate it. It's fantastic. There's no fear, no problem. Then, when something like this started to be the talk of town, not everyone agreed. Some rabbis have had different opinions. Some say it's not allowed. Some say it's still rabbinical. Some, okay. Some say it's marit ayin. Okay. I want to remind you that's something that most people don't know. When Shabbos clock came out, remember Shabbos clock? Every house in the world has Shabbos clock by the biggest rabbis in the world. When Shabbos clock came out, everyone was against it, including Rav Moshe Feinstein. Do you know one Jew today in the world that doesn't use Shabbos clock? Sometimes the restriction is more psychological than halacha. Meaning, wow, what, people's going to turn lights on Shabbat now? It's going to look like a weekday. We are not used to it. For, for hundreds of years, we never did this. Now we're going to start pressing a button and the computer will, will choose when to turn on the lights or not? It was a little bit too much to bear. Same thing with Shaun Shabbat. Well, I'm going to put a clip now and 10 minutes later I'm going to have light and then I put another clip and the light's going to go off and people from the street will see light goes on and off. The rabbis were very scared, psychologically. So, I told him, listen, I'm not a posek, but I think it's going to be a great thing for all the secular people who now turns the light on with their hands. At least it will prevent millions of Hilulei Shabbat. It will prevent a lot of problems. No one will do Hilulei Shabbat. And uh, maybe the situation of the Jewish nation will become tremendously better. If we convince all the Chilonim, what do you have to lose? One time you install it, and that's it. You're not Mechalel Shabbat. They can even turn their television with that. The computer will decide when to turn it on. Anyway, they sit and turn it on and change channels. Whatever the case was, everybody were arguing about it until Rabbi Belsky said it's not allowed. Rabbi Belsky, everybody knew in New York, in, in the Ashkenazi world, is a top authority in Halacha. It's a big Chacham, much more than the average Chachamim. Once Rabbi Belsky say one word, the argument was over. So a lot of the people say, listen, I didn't see anything wrong here. 
מעדיף רבי בלסקי and later of חיים קניאסקי say something. I don't push my nose into mountains when they, when they say something. Some people, they started, they wanted to save their name. Oh, I never allowed it. I didn't know the details. It, it was all lies. They knew everything and they allowed it because it was allowed. Il Khatit, there was no problem there. There are many different reasons maybe that the Chachamim saw that we shouldn't do it. Maybe Maritain, maybe you're going to make Shabbat like a weekday. Who knows what can happen out of it? They don't want to take responsibility. Okay. But those who say it's allowed and made a video and later came back and said, Oh, they tricked me. I didn't know all the details. It was mamash like murdering the guy to save their own name. When it came to me and they said, this rabbi said it's not allowed, I said, okay, who am I? I thought it's allowed. That rabbi said it's not allowed, I said that in a, in a lecture in Englewood. I take my words back. I thought it's allowed, I didn't see any problem here. This big chacham said it's a problem, we don't, we don't make a beep. That's a better way to get out of it. I, I thought it's allowed, this big chacham said it's not allowed, who am I? I take my words back. I, I cancel everything I ever said. That's it. It's not a shame. Admit. Why to make the guy look like a crook to save your name? To murder him to save your reputation? Big deal. What are you so afraid of? Say it's true. I gave permission. Someone come to you. How did you give permission? It takes two minutes to prove that nothing is wrong with that. That's why I gave permission. Maybe he saw something I didn't see. No problem. I'm not ashamed. But that's just to show you that once you have a top authority, all the people that knows their level, immediately they don't say a word. If Chacham Ovadia Yosef says something in Israel, most of the rabbis that say otherwise, immediately say, okay, if Chacham Ovadia doesn't allow, forget what you heard from me. But Moroccans, for instance, they had different rabbi, Rabbi Mashash. Rabbi Mashash was the big chacham of the Moroccan, Moroccans. And sometimes they disagree, Rav Ovadia and Rav Mashash, in some different things. So Moroccans, they tell them, Rav Ovadia says, okay, with all the respect to Rav Ovadia, Rav Mashash allow. They go by their own rabbi. And the Ashkenazim go by their rabbis. And this is how the communities go. Everyone has his posek. Chazonishnikim. They go like Chazonish. People of Pornovich went like Rav Shach. Usually the Litaim went like Rav Eliashif. Okay, Rav, Rav Ozner, Hasidim. Okay. Everyone goes by their posek. It's no problem, because today we don't have Sanhedrin. If we had Sanhedrin, then all these people would sit in one building. Rav Ovadia, Rav Eliashif, Rav Ozner, Rav Mazuz, all of them. And now a case comes to Sanhedrin, and they will have to reach a verdict. They argue with themselves. He proves, he proves. Some, some of the arguments stay in argument. Sometimes unanimously they agreed. Sometimes it was like a vote. 71, 50 are for it, 21 are against it. You go by the majority. This is how it used to be. Today we don't have Sanhedrin, that's why we don't have majority today. We don't have majority. And anyway, majority today, it, mean, it goes by 
by quality, not by quantity. If you have one very big chacham and a hundred average chachamim, you don't go with the hundred, you go with the one. Because the one is in a higher level than the hundred. So anything they say, they saw only 70% of the picture. He's a very big chacham, he saw 100% of the picture. Same thing by doctors. A very experienced doctor, brain surgeon for 40 years, and someone who does it for two years. And there's hundreds like him. You go with the one, not with the hundred. Because he has 40 years of experience. So let's move on. So Mordechai is begging them not to go into the party, and they don't have a munat chachamim. When was the decree cancelled? When? A year later. When? When did the Jews fast? Three days they were fasting. Pesach. Mordechai told them, close the books, close the yeshivot, close the Mishnah, close whatever you learn. Bring Tehilim, come to the middle of the town, wear sack, put ashes, and for three days beg and scream to Hashem. They could have said to Mordechai, not only you brought this problem on us, you stubborn, you proud rabbi, it's all because of you. Why didn't you bow down to Amman? We're going to die all because of you. That's what they would say today. Who does he think he, who he thinks he is? Why he doesn't bow down? Nobody made a beep. They say, he said, come to the town and we all have to beg Hashem for mercy. They did it. When? On Lela Seder. To fast on Pesach night. Instead of doing Lela Seder, you read Tehillim with tears. Sitting on the street. For three days. With the children, everyone. That's called Emunat Chachamim. In one year, they got the point. Mordechai warned us not to go into the meal. We didn't listen. We did not have Emunat Chachamim. Now Mordechai is telling us one more thing to do. We're going to repeat the same mistake? No. This time we don't move an inch from what you say. And we go, and we pray, and we fast on Lela Seder, on Pesach. It's very interesting. Today, if Mordechai would tell to the Jewish people of today, all these liberals, all these college-educated professors, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I know you're planning to go to Cancun for Pesach <laughs> and to uh, Miami and to... What's the place you're going? Aruba. 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 Pesach is not Aruba. When is it? Sukkot? No, I'm sorry. Tell me where, where people go in Pesach. Usually. Usually Florida, right? The way you go, I go to Monza. <laughs> <laughs> I got the hint. <laughs> so, so, Mordechai would come and say to all the Jews, I'm so sorry, I know you pay $100,000 for your family to go to Cancun. But we have a very big decree now. There's anti-Semitism and the Jewish nation is in a big danger. I want all of you to bring your Tehillim to Times Square. And we're going to sit for three days and read Tehillim and wear a sack and put ashes on your head three days without a shower. 
and will cry to Hashem to forgive us, what would be the chance that even a hundred people would show up? Huh? Who would show up? And you know, those who would show up, they can forget about getting married. <laughs> Said this guy's fanatic, he's crazy. Don't, I don't want them. Don't want him. Why? He participated in a, in a gathering that Mordechai arranged in Pesach. In Yom Tov, he was reading Tehillim with a sack and ashes. No one would accept. This was a very big thing, Rabotai. That everyone agreed, and they all sat for three days and crying to Hashem, and then, Venafochu. They could have said to Mordechai, How do you know it's from the meal? From the party? No! It's because of you. You're trying to throw the responsibility on us. Who are you telling stories? No? That's how people talk to, against the rabbis today, no? Go every place, find me people that don't speak like this to the rabbis. How many machlokot you have in every community? Most of the machlokot, people do not approve the rabbi decisions. Two days is bad tshuva, you already have a, a, a speech. How to correct the rabbi's way after 30 years, the rabbi is a rabbi. You understand? So why we call the Megillah, Megillat Esther Abotai? Because it's all Esther Panim. Very nice. So Megillat Esther is... Megillah, what's the, Megillah, Megillat Esther are two words, right? Megillat, Esther. Megillah and Esther, it's two opposites. Megillah is legalot, to, to discover, to tell, to tell a secret. Esther, to reveal. Esther is to hide. <laughs> it's a very problematic name. Megillah, it's to reveal. The secret. Esther, it's to hide the secret. Huh? Very good. HaKadosh Baruch Hu used to speak to the nation of Israel directly. Until what generation? Until this time. This generation. From then on, from now on is Aster Astir Panay Mehem. It's all Aster Panim. Remember, those years before that, there were clear miracles. Exodus of Egypt, Bet HaMikdash, first Bet HaMikdash. There were miracles in front of the eyes of the people. Later, it became less and less. Today, you don't really find the miracle on the open. It's all hidden in nature. It's all hidden. We have miracles non-stop, but it's hidden. From then on, Hashem changed the mode. No more direct. Now it's all cover. Aster, Aster, Panaimem. The Gemara asks, where is Mordechai and Esther in the Torah? 
What's the question? Mordechai and Esther was born almost 900 years after the Torah. Why Mordechai Esther has to be in the Torah? The Torah is way before they came to the world. The Torah is not supposed to know about Mordechai and Esther. So the Chachamim give you two answers that when you begin to read it, it looks a little bit like a joke. Looks like a joke. But there's a very big truth in it. The Chachamim say, Esther, you know where Esther appears in the Torah? There is a Pasuk in Parashat Vayelech. Aster, Astir, Panai Mehem. Hashem say to Moshe Rabbeinu, one day these Jewish people will betray me and they will go after fake religions and fake gods. And what will happen? At that time I will be so angry at them that I will close my eyes from them. Aster, Panai Mehem. I will hide my face. I won't be there. I put them in the end of the goyim, and the goyim will chase them and do all kinds of horrible things to them. That's what's written, describing a holocaust. In that page in the Torah, you have the world, the holocaust, hidden in equal mathematical skip of 49. Hey, 49 letters, shin. 49 letters, vav. 49 letters, aleph. 49 letters, hey. Ha-Shoah, the Holocaust, is hidden in one place in the Torah that Hashem said to Moshe, way after you gone, these Jewish people will betray me and they would like to be like the Goim. They go after the Goim. I'm going to put them in the hand of the Goim and the Goim will take care of them. And I will not be there. Next time when someone asks you, where was God in the Holocaust? Answer him, he was not there. He closed his eyes. That's why he saw no, almost no mercy there. Why is it? Because he was warned. We got the warning. We ignored it. We paid the price. It's written, Parashat Vayelech. It's not a miracle. It's not a coincidence that you have the word Holocaust planted right here. In equal mathematical skip, what are the odds? You don't see, but it gets better. Listen to this. The Gemara says, Where is Esther in the Torah? In the word, Aster, Aster, Panai. What's the connection between I will hide my face to Esther? Who told you that this is Esther? Where is Mordechai in the Torah? Mordor. Mordor. Mordor is the spices. The spices that the Torah mentioned, the name is Mordor. So, Mordor in Aramaic is Mardachia. Mardachia is Mordechai. Mordechai. Here, you see, it's written in the Torah. Imagine you say to an atheist today, a skeptic, oh, you want, I, I can show you Esther, the Queen Esther is mentioned in the Torah. Where? In this Pasuk. I will hide my face. What's the connection? It happened to be that I will hide my face and the name Esther is the same four letters. Aleph, Samech, Tafresh. But what is the connection? Who are you telling stories? Where is Mordechai in the Torah? Mordor. What's the connection between Mordor and Mordechai? It looks a little bit like a joke. With this, you definitely won't make even one Baal Tshuva. 
But with this, what I'm about to say, everyone who has a head must become Baal Tshuva. If you take the word Esther, you circle the Aleph. How many letters we have in a Megillah? 12,196 letters. If you count from the Aleph of Esther, 12,196 letters in a Torah, you get Samer. 12,196 letters, you get Taf. 12,196 letters, you get Resh. Esther is planted inside the text of the Torah in equal mathematical skip of the amount of letters that are written in the Megillah. And remember, the Megillah would be written 900 years later in history. No human being could ever know there's going to be Esther, there's going to be Mordechai, there's going to be Megillah, and there's going to be 12,196 letters. Only Hashem could have known it. Rav Weizmann will say about the Rambam, the Mishneh Torah of the Rambam. He said that also? No. Rav Weizmann will say that. And Mordechai, Mordor, from the word Mordor, take the mem of the Mor, circle the mem, count 12,196, you get Resh. 12,196, you get Dalet. 12,196, you get half. 12,196, you get Yud. Mordechai and Esther are hidden in the text in equal mathematical skip from the two words that the Chachamim say in the Gemara. Mordor and Aster Astir Panay Men. Very good. Unbelievable. So Rabotai, you see that the Torah had knowledge that no human being could have known. Now in Purim, there's mitzvah to drink wine. To become not fully drunk, but a little bit in an over, extra, over good mood. Meaning, you know, you think you're flying in space, but not to be too drunk to the point that you vomit and you go to the emergency room and you do Chilul Hashem and you take your clothes off and you stand on a table and you pull someone's payout. That's Chilul Hashem. You, you miss the entire Purim. If you become so drunk, that when you walk in front of Goim or other people on the street and they say, look at these Jews, look how he behave, you throw, you throw yourself on the street or on a public bench, not only it's not going to consider mitzvah for you, you're going to get seriously punished for that. You have to know when to stop to drink because in another glass you drink, maybe it will be too late for you. Yes? I'm really under this obligation. This took place on Pesach. Very nice. The second reason is when they put them on the poles, 
said the day before that they decapitated them. So it was either or the real Very good. Excellent. So we see Baruch Hashem that we have to drink a lot of wine. Why we have to drink wine and not whiskey? Why the Chachamim care if we drink whiskey or cognac or arak or vodka? Why does it have to be wine? Few reasons for it. Wine was the etzadat that Adam and, and, and Eve ate from. So now you, you ruin the world with etzadat, you must fix the world with etzadat, which is wine. Wine in numeric value it's 70. Yud, Yud, and Nun, 70. Yud, it's 10. Another Yud is 10, it's 20. Nun, it's 50. So it's 70. What other word equal to 70? Sod, secret. Sod, Samech, it's 60. Vav, it's 6. Daled, is 4. Nichnas Yain, Yatsa Sod. You put 70 in, 70 comes out. Imagine you have a glass. Let's say you have one liter of something inside. If you push 70 milliliter in, what's going to happen? 70 milliliter will spill out. There's no room for more. It's only one liter. So the secret here, wine goes in the body. What comes out? 70 goes in, 70 goes out. 70 goes in, it's wine. 70 that goes out, it's secret. Sod. The secret comes out. Now you know, it's very interesting. If you want to know what's the real foundation of a person, there's a good chance to know when he's drunk. When a person is empty and is full and he has no value, no spiritual value, when he drinks, he does all the most stupid things in the world. Jump like a monkey, cares, give people punches, throw chairs, vomit, lay on the street, take off his clothes. But if a big rabbi, Chacham, become in a high level of drinking lots of wine, what comes out? He's laying like this in his thing, his head is moving, he's red, and he begins to shoot massive amount of Torah. He keeps talking and talking and talking until the morning he will talk. Everyone went home. He continued to talk the Torah. That's the difference between an empty head to a full holy head. When the wine goes in, you see what's inside and it all comes out. Remember, when people are not drunk, they hide their stupidity. They pretend. But when the wine goes in, you know exactly who the person is. For instance, if a rabbi will drink a whole bottle of wine in one shot and become very drunk, you will never hear him cursing. You won't hear that he begins to curse and punch people. It's not going to happen. Why? The wine supposed to affect them both. No, no, no. The wine increases who you are for real. That's all it does, like a magnifying glass. The letters are small. You take a big magnifying glass, they are huge now. Your wisdom is this level. You drink a lot, it becomes this level. It keeps coming out. Your stupidity now, you're hiding it like in this size. You drink wine, all the boundaries are broken, it explodes everywhere. Some people, every wedding, it's a nightmare for their wives. A nightmare. Every time she hears there's a wedding, she tries to find an excuse not to go. Why? 
her husband will stand on a table and dance with the Greek music and break some plates and scream. Why? He drinks and he makes, makes her embarrassed. Wife, get the embarrassment. Now, Rabotai, we have to know one thing. Purim is a very holy day. Don't make that mistake like some people think that it's a fun day to drink and to eat. No, 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 no. Purim is higher even than Yom Kippur. That's why Yom Kippur, you call it Kippurim. Kippurim, like Purim. Purim, Yom Kippur is like Purim. Purim is so holy, Yom Kippur is like Purim. Not the other way around. That means Purim is very significant. If you pray in Mincha of Yom Kippur, all your request is a very high chance for Hashem to accept it. Very holy day for prayers. Not only that, it's in, a, it's in such a high level that the internal secrets of the Torah are all coming out. The Mishnah say, listen to this, the Mishnah say, Amegila Nikret, Beyud Aleph, Yud Bet, Yud Gimel, Yud Dalet, Tedvav. You can read the Megillah already a few days before Purim. On Yud Aleph in Adar, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. Why you have to read the Megillah a few days before? Why would you have to do it? Maybe you won't be able to, maybe, whatever can happen. Okay, you can read it before. If you add 11 plus 12 plus 13 plus 14 plus 15, how much it gives us? 65. 65. It's the name Adnut. Aleph, Daled, Nun, and Yud. So it's very interesting. The name of Hashem, as we read it in the Torah, we say it Aleph, Daled, Nun, and Yud. The Mishnah continue. Lo pachot velo yoter. Not earlier and not later. Why do you have to say it? Lo pachot velo yoter. The Mishnah should have said lo lifnei velo achrei. Not, not, the Mishnah said not less and not more. That's not the proper language. You should have said not before and not after. Why you say not less and not more? Because they think they're speaking about the numbers, not about the days. They speak about the numeric value. The Kavana is not more than 65 and not less than 65. It has to be 65, the name of Hashem. Yudke Vavke, which is the mercy because of the miracle of Purim. No, but... But Yud Kevavke, this is how we say it, like Aleph Dalet Nun Yud, because you don't really say Yud Kevavke. The Midrash Mishlei say, in chapter nine, it says, All the holidays eventually will all be dismissed. Holidays are going to be dismissed. Meaning when Mashiach comes. Wow, we're not going to have Pesach anymore? We're not going to have Rosh Hashanah? When Mashiach comes, we're going to have holidays or no? We're not going to celebrate the acceptance of the Torah and Shavuot? 
The answer, of course, we will. You cannot delete one letter from the Torah even after Mashiach come. All the mitzvot will always remain. So what the Midrash Mishlei is talking about? But the days of Purim will never be dismissed. Why is it? I'll tell you why. When Mashiach comes, the world will come to a perfect level. There's not going to be wicked people left. There's not going to be modesty issues. There's not going to be stealing. There's not going to be Chilulei Shabbat. There's not going to be war. There's not going to be Sinat Chinam. There's not going to be Yetzirah. There's no more Yetzirah. No pride, no ego, no laziness. Everyone would love Torah. No one would be tired. Oof, when the lecture is going to be over, how long? Come on. There's not going to be all of this. Everyone will be free from the cords of the Satan, of the evil inclination. You're not going to have chief clown, chief rabbis, and you're not going to have the liberals and the lefties and the traders, and you're not going to have Rami Manuel that convinced President Obama uh, Clinton not to let uh, Jonathan Pollard out of jail. Today he found out. He's bragging about it. Who convinced Bill Clinton not to let Jonathan Pollard out of jail? A Jew, Israeli lefty, Rami Manuel. He was his advisor. Instead of having a mercy on a Jew that sits in jail for nothing, all experts say he should have been in jail maximum four years. They kept him over 30 years in prison, and now he's still in prison in his apartment here in Brooklyn. He cannot go to Israel. All revenge. Clinton wanted to release him, the guy. And the Jew, the lefty trader, told him, no, don't dare to release him. And he stayed in prison another 20 years almost. When Clinton was a president, how many years ago? You had George Bush twice, Hussein Obama twice, that's 16 years. <laughs> Trump is two years, that's already 18 years. So Clinton was before Bush, right? So 20 years. 20 extra years he stayed in jail because of this trader liberal. Do you understand why Chachamim say, All the problem of the Jewish people come from the Jewish people. Yes. Then they'll blame me for saying the truth instead of themselves. So the Midrash say, all the holidays will dismiss. What does it mean? I gave an example. I gave an example. If, if you give your child a silver coin, worth 50 bucks, shiny, nice. How the boy is happy. My father gave me a silver coin. After 10 years, you tell him, look what I got for you. 10 carat diamond, blue, nice diamond, worth millions. Wow, you're giving it to me as a gift? Yeah, here it's all yours, son. Once he got the diamond, what happened immediately to the silver coin? It became nothing for him. Throw it in a drawer. Five years he did not open the drawer. Before that, every day he looked at that. Wow, wow, I have a silver No one has it. The silver coin in this parable is Passover. The diamond is the salvation of Mashiach. As long as Mashiach did not come, we have one salvation to brag about, to be impressed. Hashem took us, as, as, uh, took us out of Egypt, saved us from slavery, 
us the Torah, brought us to Israel, and Baruch Hashem was still alive, and a lot of these empires who try to kill us, they all... ...have inside us 50% of our nation, traders. Cancer epidemic everywhere. Divorce epidemic, drug epidemic, wars, bloodshed, terrorists, living in fear, anxiety attack, panic attack, all kinds of attacks. Israel, there's no Bet Mikdash. 80% of the Jewish nation died in Egypt. If this is a salvation, no, let it be. What? We don't have any better. But when Mashiach comes, it's going to be a whole different story. Nobody will bother you anymore. There will not be Arabs who want to kill you. Only righteous Arab will be left. Only righteous European. Only righteous American, Chinese. Only righteous ones. Those who kept the seven laws of Noah and loved the Jews and they're not bad people. So the world will have X amount of millions of goyim. Definitely not billions. Only the real pure good goyim. They will remain. And who else will remain? Only the real righteous Jews. Not everyone who has kippah will remain. No. That's not what I said. Only the real righteous Jews. The way you look from the outside, not always tell the whole story. Those who are really righteous, those who really care about the Torah, those who get abused and insult for saying the truth, they're going to they're gonna be, Baruch Hashem, in a very good situation. But remember, once Mashiach came and he purified the world, that's it. You don't have Yetzirah anymore. You know what, what life without Yetzirah? You don't ever think to steal. You don't have anger. You don't have revenge. You don't want to say Lashon Hara. It's fantastic life. It's like Adam before the sin. And there is no more fear from the Goim. The opposite, the Goim admire the Jews. We're going to be light to the Goim. The, the, the Goim will be all around Jerusalem coming for the Jews to share with them the wisdom of Mashiach. It's unbelievable there will be so many millions of Goim that will remain and will enjoy those days and so many of our brothers and our sisters who have no chance to survive. If you read the prophecies. But after this, there's going to be no more fear. That's a perfect salvation and it's eternal. No more going back. No more building Bet HaMikdash and getting destroyed again. This third temple will remain forever until the end of the world. And that will be fantastic. What about Yom Kippur? Are we going to need Yom Kippur after Mashiach come or no? Huh? He's bringing a very good point, which I didn't think about before. I had this debate in my mind if we're still going to need Yom Kippur. For sure, a part of Yom Kippur we will need because there are special prayers on Yom Kippur. And in Yom Kippur they used to have sacrifices in Bet HaMikdash, which are different than regular day. And when Mashiach comes and we're going to have Bet HaMikdash, we're going to have Musaf, this, all these things we're going to have in Bet HaMikdash. So Yom Kippur will definitely be some kind of a special day. The question is, will we need to fast and to torture ourselves? Now when only righteous people remain and there's no more sin? The answer is yes. What about all the sacrifice that we will have to bring to Bet HaMikdash? 
The answer is yes. But which kind of sacrifice we will have to bring for sins? If I just said that there's not going to be sins, why would we need to bring sacrifices for our sin? The answer is because we will still make unintentional sins. Not intentional sins like now. You won't speak Lashon Hara because you know it's not allowed, so you're not going to do it. You're not going to steal and you're not going to break Shabbat. Okay. But not intentional sins you can still make. For instance, you're not such a genius in Torah. You did not know that this halacha is not allowed on Shabbat. You just did it and someone just told you, oh, you're not allowed to do it on Shabbat. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Okay, you just broke Shabbat. Now you have to bring Korban Chatat. You have to bring him to Bet HaMikdash. You come to Bet HaMikdash, it's going to be amazing over there. It's oh, such a beautiful place. You have to bring it. When you bring, Bet when you bring Korban Chatat to Bet HaMikdash, you have to make confession. Chatati, Aviti. Chatati means not intentionally. The question is, Davidui, will you say Chatati or you will have to say Aviti Pashati? It's going to be a lie. Because there's not going to be a possibility to do Aviti Pashati. Aviti means on purpose. Nobody makes sins on purpose after Hashem slaughtered the Satan. There's no such thing. And no, definitely nobody will make Pashati, meaning to do it on purpose to get Hashem angry. That's only right now when the Yetzirah is very strong. So maybe the Vidu will be different. We will have to say Chatati. That's it. One word. What else are you going to say? You can say Ashamnu, Bagadnu, Gazalnu. None of it will be true. Very big, very big issue here. So he said before he fell asleep. <laughs> before. I was just testing if you were awake or not. Before, he said something very clever, which I didn't think before. He said, you still have prira between one mitzvah to another. You may choose the lower mitzvah because of lack of knowledge. That's also a partial sin. If your wife asks you, go bring money, we need to marry our children. And you have an opportunity to make $100,000 in this business or a million in this business. And you go to the 100000 She gets very angry. Why did I marry such a foolish husband? For the same amount of work, he could have made 10 times more. Same thing Hashem will tell you. If you have this mitzvah or this, why did you choose this? This will get you a lot more. Huh? Berov echav? What is he saying? Yes, in the end of the Megillah, it says, meaning most of the Jewish people are loving Mordechai, happy with him. What do you mean most? He just saved their entire nation. Everybody should love him. Not everyone. Everyone loved him, but not everyone was happy from his actions. Who did not like his actions? The rest of the Chachamim in Yeshiva, in Sanhedrin. They were a little upset with him. Why? They say we don't need politicians in the Jewish nation. We need rabbis and people that sit and learn Torah. Who's going to do the Ishtadlut to save the Jewish nation from the decree, from Hitler? Who's going to try to save us? Someone has to run, no? 
if we trust all Hashem, Hashem will do it. We do, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need you, Mordechai, to close the Gemara and go convince the king not to kill us. Do you know what was the turning point? How did Hashem make it that the decree flipped over? Who remember? What detail in the Megillah? Who said it? At that night, the king could not fall asleep. Hashem does not let him fall asleep. <laughs> when I come home sometimes, I'm so exhausted, 3 a.m. from the night before I didn't sleep and the night before. So I sit on my bed. I have to send my lecture to my website guy. So I only have to press few buttons to move it from the camera into the laptop and to send it to him, which the whole thing takes about two minutes. That's all I have to survive. <laughs> two minutes. And then once I click, it runs all night. It's 16 gigabytes. So it takes all night until the lecture transfer. By 7 a.m., it's finished to transfer. But sometimes I'm so exhausted that when I press two, three buttons, I fall asleep when the computer falls like this. Then in the morning, I remember I did not, all another three or four buttons, the transfer would start. He's so tired, he cannot stay up for two minutes. As soon as you sit down on the bed, up. So more, Hashem doesn't let him fall asleep. You have nights like this also. There's some nights that you cannot fall asleep. The adrenaline. It's very interesting. When there is a problem in the life of a person, Hashem made the Hocus pocus solution. There's something called adrenaline. Adrenaline. This adrenaline makes you awake like you slept for 20 hours. You get up like a What is this? I didn't sleep for two days. In a war, in a six day war, in a Yom Kippur war, soldiers did not sleep almost a week. Here and there they slept half an hour. We're fighting non stop. We're fighting for our life. You get strength out of nowhere. Adrenaline. It makes you awake. Many times I saw that I was about to fall asleep, then something bad happened, or you just read something bad, oh, you cannot fall asleep now. Disturb you so much. This adrenaline keep you awake. Maybe they should go around and take care of the problem. It's an emergency. So, before we finished, we have to see one thing. The holidays will not be canceled, God forbid. They will not have the same significance you're going to now talk about Yitziat Mitzrayim. Your son's going to say, Abba, why do you worry about the silver coin? You have a diamond here. Well, we didn't have the diamond. This is all we had. But now we have a much bigger salvation. We finally have Bet HaMikdash. We finally have no more Yitzhara. We finally learn Torah all day. We don't have to work for Parnassah. We don't have liberal traders anymore. No lefties, no people that stick the Jewish nation in the back every minute. We don't have this. We don't have abortions anymore. We don't have gay parades. We don't have Sodom and Gomorrah. We don't have reporters who murder people every minute on a newspaper and they call it religious website. We don't have all that. That's a salvation. What kind of salvation we had until now? Non-stop suffering.
that the holidays would lose their significance. Right? And that, that means that's because the world will come to such a nice, beautiful correction. And the correction will make everything that happened prior to that not as significant as before. Mama? Rav say in Gemara in Masechet Megillah, page 7, it says like this, Michayev inish lebesume, a person has to drink enough until he won't be able to tell the difference between Arur Aman. You know one person that is drinking and drinking and drinking and is now dancing and falling. Hey, Moshe. Wake up. Tell me, who do you love? Mordechai or you love Haman? <laughs> do you know one drunk Jew that will say, I love Haman? <laughs> huh? Some of us love Haman. Who are their leaders? Look at the clowns that control us. But when you're drunk, you're not going to say, I love Haman. You're going to say, I love Mordechai. So how exactly drinking will make me say that I love Yasser Arafat? Very good. It's a very good point. He asked a very good point. What's a bigger Kiddush Hashem? To see the destruction of the wicked people who betrayed Hashem all the years and now they get what they deserve. Or to see being now rewarded. It's a very good question. Which one of the two make a bigger impression? If the righteous people did not get any reward yet, but they see in their eyes how all the wicked traders that betrayed Hashem and betrayed the Jewish nation and their religion and betrayed us every day. Before we got our reward, those who keep and care about the truth. Is that a very big Kiddush Hashem? Absolutely. But what happened if they're still around, all these wicked people, and we got the power and the reward and they are nothing special, but they didn't get their punishment. That's also very big Kiddush That's really the difference between Baruch Mordechai and Arur Aman. You won't know to tell the difference between what's greater, to get rid of all the wicked people or to reward all the righteous people. That's why the Gematria, the American value, is the exact same. That's even better. Wow, Baruch Hashem, you can focus. Arur Aman and Baruch Mordechai same numeric value. But let's see what the Rambam say about drinking wine in Purim. The Rambam say, Rambam Omer, What does it mean you won't know to tell the difference? Only when you sleep you don't know the difference. So you have to drink until you fall asleep. How many glasses of wine it is? 
depend who you are. You're Ashkenazi, Sfaradi, Bukharian, Persian. Everyone has different, different level of... of So, עד שירדם. זה הפשט that a person will not be able to tell the difference between ארור אמן and ברוך מרדכי. How do you know from the Torah, from the Tanakh, that you have to be a righteous against the Torah to be a lefty? No. Lefty in your political views. <laughs> all, the, all the lefties now that watch life say, oh my God, what is he about to say? We're not talking about physically. Talking political views. Or Democrats. Bibi or Haman Lapid. How do you know? I'll read it to you. Ben Yair, 